Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together from wherever we are in the world, from whatever situation we have, from whatever problems we have, from whatever things we're going on. We thank you that you can adjust our thinking, adjust our heart, and change our circumstance based on your word. Father, thank you for the power of your word in our lives. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, a very big welcome. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for being with us. Maybe everybody in the room can welcome all of those from around the world. It's awesome that we can be together from wherever we are in the world. We've been having a look at that scripture in Romans chapter 6.23 as regards what is the consequences and what is sin. We all know what death is, right? You know what death is? Well, you see, for many of us, death in that scripture, Romans chapter 6.23, the first thing that we think of is our physical death. But that scripture wasn't dealing with anything physical. Otherwise, it would have been, it would have read like a carton of cigarettes. Nicotine causes cancer, which causes death. Or overeating causes cholesterol, which may lead to death. It wasn't talking about your physical death. It was talking about your spiritual death. Now, what does spiritual death look like? Spiritual death is anything devoid of God. Can I say that again? Spiritual death is anything devoid of God. Because we know that right at the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God said that as soon as you do X, and we're going to get into what X was, as soon as you do this one thing, you will positively die. As soon as Adam and Eve did it, they didn't drop dead in the physical, but they did start to degenerate as they journeyed away from God. Amen? And how many of us can see today that as the society of the, the world, the society in the world journeys away from God, it's death and darkness that comes. And life and genuine life, I'm not talking about holy life where we have to shave our heads and go and live on the top of a mountain in, in, in Malaysia or the Himalayas or wherever you want to do it and be this holier than now person. No, I'm talking about enjoying the life that God has given us to the absolute maximum but doing it in the presence of God so that our behavior doesn't lead to death, but it in fact leads to life, spiritual life. Doing the things we love to do, doing the things that we really enjoy doing that can still lead to spiritual life and enhance our physical life. So that scripture in Romans chapter 6, 23, you can open up the notes on the notes tab or in the, um, in the app, you can go along there and, and follow along with me. For the consequences of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And last week we began unpacking this concept of, well, we better know what sin is. If the consequences of sin is death, well, we better know what sin is, and we better know what the consequences of sin are. And last week we kind of discussed this. I didn't have a one-liner for it. I didn't have a power phrase for you. But I wanted to leave this one with you. Sin is, in fact, the adding or the inclusion of an additional member to the obedience equation, yourself. As soon as we add ourselves into who we are going to be obedient to, sin enters into our life. Think about it. Adam and Eve knew how to be obedient to God. As soon as they added themselves into that equation, there was a problem. As soon as they thought to themselves, well, I can make up my mind what's right and what's wrong, there was a problem. As soon as we add ourselves into the obedience equation, sin enters into it. 
The fact that we think that we have the right to choose between what God has called good and what God has called bad is sin itself. It's, it's just thinking that we know better than God. Every single time God got to a place with humankind where they were thinking they were like God, there was a major intervention by God himself. Because you see, mankind doesn't have the wiring to decide what is eternally good and what is eternally bad. We get caught up in the moment, the right now, and we might have the ability to decide right now what's good and bad, but we have no understanding of the good and bad that is eternal. You're all looking at me today and going, whoa, that's deep. You see, sin isn't sleeping with somebody else's wife. Sin isn't lusting after somebody else's husband. Sin isn't taking drugs. Sin isn't getting drunk on a Saturday. And that's not sin. That's the consequence of thinking that you know what is best. Amen? This mess that we have today with morals and what is wrong and what is right, we've started encroaching on the authority that only God has. We can't define what marriage is. As soon as we encroach into the space that God has authority over what is wrong and right, we run into some trouble. As soon as we start telling others what gender is, we're encroaching on a God space of authority. There's going to be difficulty. As soon as we start encroaching on what's good and evil, they creates a tension in us that we were never designed to carry. Think about it. Think about all your stress. What should I do with this little bit of extra money? Should I do this or should I do that? Everything that in life, should I go out with him? Should I not go out with him? Should I marry him? Should I not marry him? Should I do this, what my friends are asking me to do? Should I not do? Everything in your life, every piece of tension is a decision between wrong and right. Can you imagine just for a moment what your life would look like if you didn't have that tension? That if everything you did was good, you wouldn't need to decide should I take this job or move here? No, no. Wherever you go, it's good. Whatever you do is good. Whatever decision you take is good. Can you imagine how much stress would just come off you? Can you imagine just how much tension would leave your body? Could you just imagine how much free time we'd have in our minds to direct to worshiping God instead of worshiping the decisions that we're trying to take? Am I making sense? So you see, Adam and Eve created this tension. It's created a tension in the human psyche that, that really we weren't ever designed to carry. And so God places man in the Garden of Eden without any tension. It was devoid of attention because they were in proximity to God himself. They were so close to God that they couldn't possibly imagine establishing another God. Does that make sense? Now, in Cape Town, where I grew up, there's this massive mountain that backdrops the city. It's called Table Mountain because it's a flat-top mountain. And every night when the clouds come over the top of the mountain, they say that the tablecloth has been put on the table. And it's called Table Mountain. If ever you look at a photograph, if you Google Cape Town, and you have a look at the images of Cape Town where I was born, there you will see Cape Town's Table Mountain. And when we have a look at that, at that table mountain, I know that on the other side of that mountain is another whole residence, there's another whole lot of suburbs. But when I get close up to the magnitude of that mountain, 
I can't really imagine seeing anything else. I, I can't see around this side or around that side or over the top. or I, I can't imagine underneath. It, it's just so big. And when we are in proximity to the goodness of God, when we are in proximity to the hugeness of God, there is no opportunity for us to establish another hugeness. Amen? When we're close to the blessing, when we're close to life, when we're close to the joy that God has, we can't imagine our joy coming from anybody else. But as soon as we distance ourselves and we start getting further from God, the size of God hasn't changed, but our perspective of who, who God is has, and all of a sudden we feel that we're bigger. How many of you know that you had to, if you had to look at Table Mountain through a telescope from 400 miles, it would look about this big? But the size of the mountain hasn't changed. The height above sea level hasn't changed. Its position never changes. But as we distance ourselves from God, we seem to think that we're bigger than He is. Now, you might be thinking, no, I don't, Craig. I know God is almighty. Well, then why don't you declare Him almighty in your finances? And why are you still taking decisions on your finances that you should have given to the almighty? Why are you saying, oh, I know what's good for me. I know I can skate thin to the, it's close to the line here with my morality and my sexuality and not get hurt and then curse God when you do get hurt. You see, we say that we God, God is almighty, but in our intimates, in our, in our closeness, in our, in our very inner being, we struggle to give God and be, make God almighty in all things. You see, we want to be God when we need control, and we want to throw everything to God when we lose control. Am I making sense? And so this scripture goes on and says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, tension-free, in the presence of the Lord. No doubt in their mind where they came from. No doubt in their mind where they were going. No doubt in their mind who their God was. Have you heard me pray? You are our God, and there is no other. That is my declaration saying that everything else that I am deciding on, I give to the Lord. Where's my business going? I don't know. Give it to the Lord. Where's my finance? I don't know. Give it to the Lord. Where's my marriage going? Give it to the Lord. No, but I can go to this and I can do that. You've just added yourself into the obedience equation and that in itself is sin. Moses went up the mountain. The presence of God seemed far away, so the Israelites inserted their own God into the equation. Was that wrong or right? It was wrong. God's blessing on your finances seems far away, so you insert your own God into your finances. God's blessing on your parenting seems far away, so you insert your own God into your parenting. God's blessing on your life about finding a marital partner seems far away, so you take it upon yourself and you get yourself into all sorts of relationship issues. Are you seeing how we establish another God into the obedience equation? And as soon as Adam and Eve inserted their, themselves into the obedience equation, there was a problem. Sin. The consequences of sin were shame, doubt, and all of those things that came together to create the world that we now know today. So the thing that you're fighting, the addiction that you're striving towards, the, the thing that you're really struggling with, that's not sin. That's the consequence of sin. Have a look at where you haven't inserted God into your obedience equation, 
and you will find the root of the problem and be able to root it out by bringing that to God. Amen? So when we have a look at this tension that's so deadly, it goes on in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 2. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the tree of every tree in the garden. But I thought he said that there were two trees we couldn't eat from. Didn't he put two trees in the garden? At the center of the garden, he put two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He says, no, but there's only one tree you cannot eat from. The knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they could freely eat from the tree of life. They could freely choose to eat from the tree of life. They had one hand on life and one hand on the stress of trying to decide what is life and what is not life. And they decided to neglect the life fruit and pluck of the decision-making process that was going to cast them into tension. They had been enjoying life up until now. They had been enjoying eternal life. They had been eating the fruit of being close to life itself, of being so close to God that there was no death of being so close to God that there was no doubt that this relationship could last forever and conquer everything. And then they entered themselves into their own, they put themselves into their own equation by eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, by trying to decide what was right and what was wrong. Let me tell you something, what is wrong with mankind today is they have entered into the realm of trying to be God and decide what is right and what is wrong, when it is perfectly clear from Scripture what is right and what is wrong. But we've added ourselves, mankind, into the equation, and we're wondering why it's going wrong. Adam and Eve didn't sin by eating of the fruit. They sinned by deciding or making a decision that they would decide between right and wrong going forward. And Satan just played into this decision. He just said, did God really say? Is God really that big? Are you really that close to Table Mountain? Are you no, surely he said that you'd be like him. Ah, that big. If I make my own decisions, I can be that big. And Pinocchio's nose didn't grow, but the Tower of Babel did. Because we can be like God at the Tower of Babel. We can be like Him. We can make decisions. We can choose what's wrong and right. Am I making sense? And so He puts them in there, and He says, don't take on the decision-making process. If you want to call the cat lion, or you want to call the lion gobbledygook, it doesn't matter, because if you do it with me, it's going to be good. As soon as you make a decision without me, it's not going to be so good. And you're going to enter into this tension. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 2 says this. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. If you are in relationship with God, blessings will overtake you. If blessings aren't overtaking you, check your relationship with the Father. Check your obedience equation. And obedience isn't God wagging his finger at you. Obedience is lovingly knowing that when he tells me to go left, that is the best possible option for me with the best possible outcomes for me. I don't care if God says go left and my whole world says go right. I will rather pick up the fruit of life with permission from the Father. With permission. He wants you to pick up the tree of life. 
He doesn't want you to have the tension and the stress of choosing wrong and right. And so he says, hey, when you obey the Lord, all of these blessings will come upon you. Let me tell you something. When we talk about blessings and cursings, how many of you, generational curses are upon me? Blessings and curses. Let me tell you something. The curse is having to carry the burden of deciding wrong and right. That's the curse. I, I mean, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine living a life where that threat of doing something wrong is hanging over my head. Did I, did I, did I hit him too hard? Did I explain to him why I was giving him a hiding enough? Did I take it too long? Did I, did, did I, did I, give him the, did I use the right rod as the rod in the Bible, a four-millimeter di four diameter rod or an eight-millimeter diameter rod? What is the rod in the Bible? Is that a leather strap or not? Should I be circumcised or uncircumcised? Oh, my word, what do I need to do? Can you imagine living under that kind of wrong and right all the time? That's what we do. In fact, the Bible calls that living of wondering if you're wrong and right all the time, the law. Because that's what they lived under. If I did this, I had to do this. If I did this, then I had to find a pigeon and cut off its head and give it a half an ephah of barley and half of this of that. And a, What is an ephah anyway? I don't know. And oh my word, I looked at my next door neighbor's cow and thought it was looking better than mine. Oh, here we go again, up to the temple, two goats and two this and four that and Oh, my word. And that's what we're doing to ourselves all the time. We're living under the law. It might not be the Mosaic law, but it's under the law of deciding what's wrong and right all the time. And we know that the law, Mosaic law, led to death. That's what Jesus said. The law, Mosaic law, led to death. Why? Because people couldn't keep it. They couldn't keep up with the tension of living by choosing between wrong and right, what God had said they must do and what they couldn't do. And now we've just replaced the Mosaic law with our own law because we are stuck in this glut of being sinful through one man's sin into the world. He decided that he would choose between wrong and right. He introduced into the human psyche this desire to be like God. And all of a sudden, we're walking around with the weight of law on our backs, wondering if we're doing wrong or right. Shame, condemnation, didn't do it right, could do it right, could I do it better? And it's, it's just becoming heavy. And the more we play to this wrong and right curse the more it plays to our selfishness. Because now we've got to do something else to make ourselves feel better for the thing that we didn't do right yesterday, and we think that we're going to do this, but we don't know if that's going to be so right, because if we do this, it could also be wrong, and it could be seen by other people to be wrong, and we might stumble a brother, and that would be wrong, even though I think it's right. <laughs> Anybody else feel like that sometimes? Consequences and knock-on effects of this you in the disobedience-obedience equation, and all of a sudden there's tension. You see, proximity to God is peace, not tension. Can I say that again? Proximity to God is peace, not tension. So if proximity to God is a blessing, and when we're close to God, the blessing is life, have a look at what Deuteronomy 30, and I'm going to read a few verses. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 to 19. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Whew. In other words, you've got to be really clever at misunderstanding this. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Whew. So it's not for the super spirituals. 
nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey. Phew. It's not for those bold, courageous, seafaring guys that just always go out there and get it right. It's just for the ordinary folk. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So what? So you may obey it. When the Lord is close to you, it's easy to obey him. And where there's obedience, there's blessing. And where there's proximity to God, there's life. Because the word is so close. When we draw ourselves so close next to the Father, and it's right up in our face, and he's right there in our face, he hasn't changed one bit. We have. We've changed our posture of obedience by drawing close to the Father. The closer your relationship, the greater your propensity to obey. Can I say that again? The closer your relationship to God, the greater your propensity to obey. It's like this. My father used to tell me, you will not drive the vehicle until you have your license. So I was like two months away from getting my license, my driver's license in South Africa. And they were going away for the weekend. When my father was there, I wouldn't dare just jump in, jump in the car unlicensed and drive off with the vehicle, right? But as soon as he left the house, I got in the car, drove out the driveway, and drove right past him as he was returning to get something he'd forgotten from the weekend. Oops. All of a sudden, my obedience from proximity turned to discipline in proximity. And God only disciplines those who he loves, right? So whether you've been disobedient or obedient, proximity is life. Because he's going to discipline you and shape you into somebody better if you've done something wrong. And if you're doing something right, there's blessing. So it's a win-win. Am I making any sense? You're looking at me like, what is he on about? I hope you're getting this at home. Number Verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Two opposite ends of the stick. Life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in what? obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then what? Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship then, I declare, if you put somebody else into the obedience equation, other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing to the Jordan River, Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Wow. Now all of a sudden that choosing life isn't just, oh, I believe in Jesus. That's not choosing life. Choosing life is being obedient to Jesus. And what is Jesus asking you to do? You know what? That's the crazy thing. Being obedient to Jesus is not about being obedient to a whole lot of laws. We know that causes death. Being obedient to Jesus is understanding that the promises he's spoken are about you and for you and walking out the promises that he's spoken. 
That's the difference between a heavenly father who decrees what you have to be obedient to and you run in the opposite direction as soon as he goes on holiday. With God the Father, he's giving you promises, not decrees. He's giving you abundant life, not a listed list of rules for you to have abundant life. All we have to do is be obedient to the promise. Look at what happened to Adam and Eve. What was the promise? You will fill the earth and subdue it. You will have in subjection the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens. You will do this and you will do that. God was being, speaking a promise over them, and all they had to do was be obedient to him, draw close to him, and that promise would come, become about, namely, a blessing. God is saying, I've promised you that you are already healed. Our obedience is to walk out healing, not doubt, not stress, not condemnation, not speaking death. He's promised you that you're going to have an abundant life. We don't walk out in the spirit of want and lack. Even though our bank account says zero, that means you've got zero distraction. Amen. You see, when we start understanding that our obedience to the Father, which means life and blessing, is not about a law, but about a promise, now we can begin to understand being obedient to a promise. Am I making sense? And now we get so close to the promises, so close to the word, we get so close to what Jesus has said, what God has said about us, that we can't possibly believe anything else other than the promise that is right here in front of us. And whether we look left, it's good. Whether we look right, it's good. Whether we look up, it's good. Whether we look down, it's good. God hasn't forced us which way to look. We've still got free will to look whichever way we want. But it's good. But as soon as we pull away from Him, as soon as our distance, our relationship becomes distant, now we can see the sky around the mountain, and we can see the sea, and we can see the people on the beach, and we can see all these other things that we can establish as gods in our life. And we've added another being into our equation of obedience. Your proximity to God is paramount to your life and your blessings. And your proximity to God is paramount to you being obedient to His promises. Does that make sense? When evil is spoken over you, it's a word spoken without God. When evil is spoken, somebody comes to you and says, you are this, 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 and speaks a curse over your life. All that is, is words without God. Because we know that God is not in a curse. He's in encouraging you. He's in, 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 in enabling you. He's in picking you up when you're feeling down. He's not about cursing you. So when somebody comes to me and says, Craig, this, 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 and starts wagging their finger at me, I look at it and go, oh, that's not God speaking. I can, I can ignore that. When somebody says, Craig, you'll never amount to much, I go, no, God would never say that to me. That's not God. Because I'm not going to allow the things that are not God to become God. Think about it. Somebody says you're not good enough. That becomes your God in your life. You lose track of where Table Mountain is, and you're sailing around Robben Island off to the Indies. Am I making sense? We make the things that are not God, God. We've added something else into the equation of our obedience. The promises of God go far away. Our proximity to Him becomes difficult. And now all of a sudden the blessings aren't flowing. That happened in the Garden of Eden. Happened with Adam and Eve. You see, God then goes in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14 to 19. 
And he seems to speak a whole bunch of curses to humankind. He first of all speaks to Satan the devil. Now Satan the devil was in the presence as a snake. So he curses snakes. But then he speaks to Satan the devil in the supernatural. He says, my seed will conquer you in the head. And your seed will conquer him in the heel. He speaks to Satan on the supernatural level. And says, right, everything about this picture is going to be resolved. Supernaturally, I'm in charge. Physically, I'm in charge. And he then speaks to the physical with Adam and Eve. And he says, in childbearing Eve, you're going to have difficulty. Adam, you're going to work hard. You're going to have great toil. It's going to be sweat to your brow. All he's saying is, is that in every instance of the world, in every instance of your being, whether you're working, whether you're producing children, no matter what you are doing, if you do it devoid of God, it is cursed. He wasn't cursing humankind. He was pointing out that if you do it without God, it's a curse. It's going to be hard to bear. You're going to have to wrestle. Do I plant in August? Do I plant in January? Don't I? Where do I? Do I do? How do I? Do I get the water from this creek or that creek? How, where, what? Whereas when you're doing it in the presence of God, there is no left, right, and center. You just go, God, where must I go? And he goes there, and you go there. And it is good. When we go to him with my marriage, we go, hang on, why is there so much tension in my marriage? Tension is caused by you trying to decide what's wrong and right in your marriage. Take your marriage to God, watch the proximity increase, watch the blessings increase, watch the life flow, and watch your life change. Oh, well, Craig, I've got this addiction. Take your addiction to the proximity of God, watch the blessings flow, watch the life flow, and watch that addiction be gone. But you've made a mountain out of your other God, so you can't see God's blessing. You can't see where He is. Am I making any sense tonight? If there's tension in your finance, take it to God. If there's tension in your marriage, take it to God. Because tension is caused by the desire to decide what's wrong and right for yourself. Blessing is enabled in our life through obedience in faith to the Father without quibble and without doubt. Blessing to the Father. I read a book once, it's called 10 Second Obedience. Am I able to be obedient to the Lord within 10 seconds? I'm walking down the street, the Lord drops in my spirit, go and give that person something. Oh, you'll use it for alcohol. The Lord drops into my spirit in Walmart to go and pay for somebody's food. Oh, no, no, I might not have enough. Have I got 10-second obedience? The shorter the time it takes for me to be obedient to the Lord, the closer He is to me. The closer He is to me, the closer are the blessings because of my obedience. I'm not talking about being super spiritual and blowing shofars and waving flags and doing all that, as good as those things may be in worship. I'm not talking, I'm talking about within your gut. When God says something and you know it's God, do you do it? Curse is something devoid of God. So a generational curse, therefore, is generation one, not teaching generation two how to be obedient to God. Because, you see, Jesus, in Romans chapter 6, 23, Jesus is called eternal life. If life comes from blessing and blessing comes from proximity, Jesus Christ's job was to bring us into proximity of the Father. Jesus' job was to bring us into relationship with the Father. 
So surely then, if life comes through Jesus, and life comes from proximity, and that whole thing is called blessing, then surely there can no longer be a generational curse on us because Jesus has taken away cursing by introducing the Father. Remember, curse is only something that is devoid of the Father. So if he's reintroduced the Father, there can be no curse. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, there can be no curse. Oh, can there be a positional proximity problem? Yes. Oh, can there be another God problem? Yes. But there's no curses. Let me tell you something. You have cancer today or you don't have cancer today because we, have a, we live in a fallen world where the bodies have fallen. That is not God speaking curses over your life. That is simply a degenerated world. Let me tell you something. This world, praise the Lord, is not all there is. So what if my body goes through some pain? God's not challenging me. He's not persecuting. He's not cursing me. The world has been so far devoid of God that the offspring of being devoid of God is sin. And cancer is a consequence of humankind, not mine, humankind drifting from the Father. And so we get to a place of blaming our individual issue on a humankind issue and then making ourselves God about it and deciding that we know what's wrong and right. Romans chapter 6, 23 at the end says this, For the consequences of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason we can say that Jesus took all of our curses at the cross is because it is through Him that we are now in proximity to God. There are no curses in proximity to God, only blessing and life. A generational curse is simply one generation not teaching the next generation about God. You see, it's not an automatic thing, blessing or curse. Blessing or curse is not automatic. Just because your father did it doesn't mean to say automatically that you need to do it. Just because your father was a pastor doesn't mean to say that you're going to be close to God. Blessing and curses are not automatic. It's a choice. We have to choose what our proximity to God is. And proximity to God is decided upon with obedience. Obedience. Stop reasoning God's word out of your life. Stop reasoning God's word out of your life. Oh no, well, that's not for me. I, I hear it all the time when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the supernatural. Oh no, that was for the apostles. You reason God's word out of your life. Instead of just going, you know what, I'm going to get as close to him as humanly possible, and what must be, must be. If I draw close to him and I start speaking in tongues, hallelujah. If I draw close to him and I don't start speaking in tongues, hallelujah. I'm going to draw close to him in obedience. It's as simple and as straightforward as that. If the Father says, don't forsake the gathering of ourselves together, I'm not going to forsake the gathering of myself together. If the Father says, give and you receive, I will give. If the Father says, you have a life of abundance, I have a life of abundance. I'm the king's kid. I might be undercover right now, but I'm the king's kid. And I'm going to have my day when I shout my praises in the face of my problems and watch my victory. I'm going to have my moment of blessing, but I'm not going to draw away from God. I'm going to keep drawing close to him. There's fireworks going off 
in my body, in my, in my, in my finances, in my, there's, there's distractions left, right, and center. I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize, which is Jesus, because Jesus brings me into proximity to the Father, and through obedience to Jesus, I have a relationship with the Father, and because I have a relationship with the Father, I'm in proximity to life and blessing. If Jesus says jump, I say how high? Well, hang on, Jesus. Were you referring to the Jews or the Gentiles? Was that Greek or Hebrew? Because if it was Hebrew, then it's a female, past participle, with an adjectival noun phrase attached thereto, and therefore it doesn't apply to me. You decided what's wrong and right. You just added somebody else, your own intellect, into the obedience equation. Stop it. You don't know more than God. If God says, protect the sanctity of sex before marriage, protect the sanctity of sex before marriage. Oh, but hang on, that was meant for a culture. Come on. Why do we have to struggle with what God's asking us to do? If the Father says, go far away from those kinds of people. In fact, He says, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad associations spoil useful habits. When I draw close to those people, I get into bad habits. Okay, I'm not going to get close to those people. Yeah, but I could be the light of the world to them. I could show them Jesus. No, you don't want to show them Jesus. You want to show them a good time. And then we wonder where the blessings are. Because if we've been disobedient, you are more than what you can decide you are. You are what God decides you are. And he loves you. He's provided you so many promises, so many things, so many, so many ways of doing things better, so many ways of being anointed as royalty, where things can work easier for you. I remember one time, I might have told you the story already. I was a young kid, and I had already started my own business at the age of 14. I had six people working for me. We were washing motor vehicles in different housing complexes. And uh, there's one housing complex the, the HOA paid us a set fee each month to wash all the vehicles once a week. It's part of living in this complex. And six guys used to move in, and we used to wash all these vehicles, and they paid me with a check. It was my first check I'd ever got. And I went to the bank, and my father was the bank manager of the bank. And so a bank check of any size back in the day had to lie in the bank for seven to ten days if it was from another bank before you got your money. Amen? So I present this check, and they look at this check, and they go, oh, are you Smee? I go, yes. Derek's son, yes. Oh, well, we can clear this immediately. You see, when your name is in proximity to the name of the Father, the issues are cleared immediately. Things are taken away straight away. You have right to declare things in the Father's name because you have the Father's name. You are part of his family. I'm not a degenerate. I'm not rejected and dejected. No, I am the king's kid. And I stand with that name of Jesus. And I fly that name of Jesus because I know that when I bring myself into the proximity of the name of Jesus, I have life because I am in proximity to the Father. And where their Father is, there is life and blessing. I don't need to reason my way around the Bible. I don't even need to know the Bible. I need to know Jesus. Here's the word. Oh, I want to know the Bible, 
when I get to know Jesus. I want to know all the stories in the Bible when I get to know Jesus. When I get to know Jesus, I get to know a promise, not a law. I get to know grace, not malediction. I get to know the joy of the Father. Why? Because I don't live under the curses. I know that when I step away from the Father, the blessings seem to dry up. And where there is no blessing, it's a curse. And that's all about my choice. Not some automatic malediction that the Lord is dishing out on you because you spoke badly to your son 55 years ago. Oh, I, I get it all the time. Do you know, Craig, that I've been divorced twice? Yes, and so does the father. Move on. If you camp in the curse, you're distancing yourself from the blessing. Don't camp on holy ground and wonder why when you're now 55 years older, that nothing's changed in your life. Well, you haven't changed your position to God. Trust me, the divorce, the issue, the sin, the thing you've done wrong, God didn't go through that with you for you to pull away from Him. He went through that with you so that you could pull towards Him. God's not looking for a reason to curse you. He's looking for any reason to bless you. He's not looking for a reason to say, no, you can't go to heaven. He's looking for any reason to say, welcome, my son, welcome, my daughter. That's why I know that people that we think, oh, they weren't Christian when they died. Let me tell you something. They probably asked Jesus into their life when they were 12. And over the years, they've completely forgotten about that. They didn't even call him Jesus. They just called out and said, help me, God. That was enough for God to step in and go, you want to mine. We've trumped up the rules and the regulations that we have to have to get into heaven. God's looking for any reason to put you on your throne. He's not looking for any reason to keep you off it. Any reason to welcome you in. Not any reason to say goodbye. And so we walk around thinking, oh, I can't do this. I can't. God's far away because I've done this and I've done that. And you know what? You creating the own, your own curses. It's not God cursing you. As the toil, as the work become difficult to do, that's because you've lost God in your workplace. And I'll tell you something. I went to a workplace in Dallas the other day, and I was doing some consulting, and I looked at this one guy, and I said, the Lord's just saying to me that you need to start a Bible study group here at lunchtime at your workplace. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, what's stopping you? Uh, nothing. I said, in South Africa, we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to have discussions about Bible or Christianity at the workplace. So why don't you celebrate what freedom you have and start getting two or three together and start talking about the word at lunchtime? Oh, that's an awesome idea. I don't know why I didn't think of that. I don't know why I didn't think of it either. If God's not at the workplace, bring the workplace to God. If your family is far from God, bring the family to God. You be the movement. Instead of being just the prayers, oh, Father, please remove this curse from me. Oh, Father, I don't know about you, but I did the face app thing today, the aging face app thing. How many else? Have been, yeah. I did the face app aging thing. And the little wheel goes around and says processing photograph. And it takes a photograph of you and it makes you look like when you're going to be 75. And as the process came through, I was staring at the eyes of my father. I look exactly like my dad the one person that I would hate to look like the most. And you know what? 
I could have taken it on, oh, I've got all the same traits as my father. I'm going to turn out like my father. I'm going to be just like my father. No, I'm not. I'm close to the father that brings about blessing, not generational curse, no matter what I look like. Amen? So I want to encourage you tonight. Draw close to the Father in obedience. If he says, read your Bible, who cares if you have to read numbers? Read it. It means blessings. You're going to find something in that word that's going to change your life. Oh, but you know what? Revelation. Read it. You win. Spoiler. You live. Ten-second obedience. Amen? All righty. Let's pray together, and then we'll do some discussion. Father God, we just thank you that we can come together and just be taught by you. Father, thank you that we can be obedient, and it's obedience to a promise. It's not obedience to a law. Father, thank you that you've set aside the law and now instituted your promise. Thank you that your word is not judgment but grace. And we pray right now, Father, that everything we've discussed here today will be used to change our lives and orientate ourselves towards you. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.